There we go. Hello, folks. This is Barack Lurie, and this is the Lurie Law Podcast with my indefatigable, effervescent producer, Ari David. Effervescent. That means I just drink water with bubbles in it. <laughs> or you're bubbly. Um, we, should have, we should have a word of the day, something like that. But I think Bill O'Reilly does that quite well. Uh, listen, you know, it's interesting. We have... Um, Recent decisions that we talked about before uh, regarding the recent Supreme Court decisions on gay marriage, on uh, the affirmative action uh, uh, laws, and changing the standard review on such. And uh, Ari, you were thinking about, uh, you had a question about how uh, the the appeal process is, what it means, what are the impacts of that, and um, what, what sort of discretion does a judge have? Okay. I, I love talking about appeals because a lot of times people think an appeal mean, simply means, well, I'm going to argue this all over again. Um, let's say you had a breach of contract. Uh, you claim that the other side uh, didn't pay you the $300,000 that they were supposed to pay you, and they never paid it, and uh, you lose on that. They, the, the judge says or the jury says, uh, no, they, they don't have that. Okay, well, I'm going to appeal it, and uh, we're going to do the same, same case. And we'll have witnesses all over again. No, that's not what an appeal is. Hold on. It's not? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it is wrong. Um, an appeal, it's actually a very um, you know, intellectual process. An appeal simply focuses on what the lower court reviewed and whether or not it abused its discretion. That's the phrase, abused its discretion. Um, there, there's another standard called de novo review, which means you get to review it all over again from a legal point of view. Usually you get to review issues of law all over again. So for example, a judge decides to review a certain area, a certain law, uh, and he says, uh, that the law should be 65 miles per hour instead of 55 miles per hour. Okay. The, the, the appellate court won't won't uh, review him on an abuse of discretion standard. It'll simply say, no, you're wrong. <laughs> We're reviewing that. And the law is not 65, it's 55, to give you an example. So the, in other words, a judge cannot make a decision of what the law is. The, so appellate court will, of course, review that on what we call a de novo review standard. However, most of the time, the appeal is, like I said, abuse of discretion. Did the judge abuse his discretion, for example, in deciding not to allow certain experts to testify? or to allow an expert to testify? <laughs> and did that create prejudice in the minds of the jury? Uh, did the um, a judge um, uh, abuse his discretion by, not, not, by saying something, that a certain question that a, a person asked was irrelevant and sus- sustaining that objection? Maybe, maybe the, uh, the other side feels that it was relevant and it would have changed the minds of the jury. Classic example is... Uh, Let's say you find out that somebody um, had, a felon, had a felony in his past, right? And this is a breach of contract case. And you want to argue um, that the, uh, you know, you want to say that this guy's a bad guy. He's a felon and he's, you know, and he was uh, caught embezzling a long time ago. Therefore, he's probably lying to you now, <laughs> right? That's the theory behind it. So um, you can appeal that. You can say, look, uh, this was you know, unfairly prejudicial to my client. And by saying that he was, 
a felon before. It kind of poisons the mind of the jury against my client. And therefore, uh, it should go be remanded, which means just sent back and have another trial without allowing any evidence regarding the, per the, uh, the uh, felony. That's, a, that's another example of it. Is that new trial called an appeal, appeals trial, or is it just no, called a new trial? No, it's a new trial. It, it, As in the de novo. Right. You can think of a, in the appellate process like a, like a ladder, right? Uh, the, the lowest rung is the trial level. The next level is the appellate level, uh, court of appeals. And uh, it, this is in California state court. Uh, so California uh, state court system. You have the trial level, and then you have the court of appeals, the California court of appeals. And then from that is the California Supreme Court. So basically you have two levels of appeal. And beyond that, if, if uh, the United States Supreme Court decides to listen to it, I guess you have a third level of appeal. Um, and that, of course, and in both cases, the California Supreme Court, uh, it decides whether or not it's going to consider your case at all. You have one appeal as of right, and that's the Court of Appeals. Beyond that, the Court of Appeals of that will decide whether or not that makes any sense. And, you know, if, if it thinks it's an interesting case, it will take it up. But the new is the new case heard in the appellate court system. Oh, or great in question! The yeah, original court system. These it goes back to the court system, to the trial level, the lowest rung of With the ladder. With a new judge, time. new jury. It, it, and it, great. That's another. Generally speaking, it actually goes back to the same judge. Technically speaking, it goes back to the same judge, and the they say let's say call him Judge Smith. Uh, judge Smith, uh, we're remanding this back to you. You should not have uh, allowed the evidence of the felony. In your case, it had nothing to do with it. It's unfairly prejudicial. We need you to, remand, to retry this case without that evidence coming in. You are not allowed to bring that in. Okay. Um, now, as a practical matter, the person who won that appeal doesn't want that same judge, right? The judge is pissed off. Nobody likes to be reversed. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's asking a lot for the judge to reconsider his position, you know, in light of uh, the, the fact that the felony is no longer there. He may still have it in for that particular plaintiff. So typically the plaintiff in that case will say, you know what, I'm going to bounce this judge. Um, it's called 170.6. That's, that's the statute upon which you can bounce a judge and say, okay, give me a different judge on this one. It's the same level of the court. It's the lowest rung of the court, so to speak, the trial level. But that judge now handles the case and he'll decide whether or not, you know, if it's a bench trial, then he'll decide it. If it's a jury trial, then he'll preside over that jury trial. That's the way it works. That's abuse of discretion. Now, a lot of times a judge will have, um, you know, you asked before, Ari, about uh, what sort of discretion do they have? What kind of powers do they have? They have a lot of discretion. I mean, they can, they can decide, you know, within a, the middle of a case, you know what, I've heard enough, and I'm ruling in favor of the defendant. Even uh, if it's a jury trial? Yeah, even he can t he can take away from the jury. He can yeah. say, uh, if he uh, sees it's a prosecution that has no evidence or something, right? I hereby dismiss this case. Yeah. Uh, he can do a lot. If a judge, but the, dismiss, but the more he oh, exer but, the more he exercises his discretion to do just that, then the the easier it is to appeal him, right? Yeah. Um, so you can say, well, wait a minute, I wasn't finished. I wasn't done with my case, and uh, that judge will have to kind of take the risk that the appellate court will see it the same way that he did. Um, that, in fact, there was no, not enough evidence to support the plaintiff's case or that there was no, there was no defense for the defendant. So th that's a risk. So a judge is thinking of the following. 
you know, they live and die by whether or not they're reversed on appeal. That's their kind of report card, if you will. The, the, the fewer times that they're reversed, the better they are as a, um, as a judge. The, the more judicious they can, they're considered to be and the more fair they're considered to be. So that's the way the, the, the governor and other people look at a judge in terms of... Promotability uh, to hire. Yeah, pr promotability, uh, you know, and other lawyers in choosing a judge. Sometimes they, they have the opportunity to bounce a judge earlier on in a case in California. So if a, if a judge is constantly being reversed on appeal, you don't want that judge because, you know, you're, you're going to get a crapshoot. He or she is not following the law uh, or is not thinking things through carefully. Okay, so a judge lives and dies by his appellate record, whether he's a reverse. So he's going to do everything he can, even though he thinks, for example, there's no relevance to that particular question. He's going to let it end unless it's truly you know, prejudicial, truly. But if it's if it's marginally relevant, he'll say, "Okay, fine, I'll let it in." Um, Your Honor, this lacks foundation. Uh, whatever, go ahead, overruled. Go ahead with your question. <laughs> so you'll you, you can. There's a lot of mumbo jumbo. A lot of this stuff. I would say a good forty percent of testimony in a in a trial is is not really important. It may not even be relevant. But the judge, from his point of view doesn't want to be reversed. And the more he lets in, the less appealable it is by the other side to say that he abused his discretion by not letting something in. So most appeals are based on not letting something in than letting too much in. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, you know, the, the, the one danger of letting something in is that it might be prejudicial. Yeah, right. but it also probably gives the other side the opportunity to bring in a piece of information or an right. expert to testify to contradict it. That's right. Two examples, but it does give that opportunity, but it's still prejudicial. Two examples of, of, of prejudice that come to mind immediately are one is the, the, the past criminal conduct. It's hard to bring up past criminal conduct, especially when it's very long ago, and then claim that somehow it's meaningful in this civil context. An exception can be where you're found to have engaged in perjury, for example, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's a classic uh, felony. Yeah. Or you're on trial for the same offense. Right, that same offense. That, that, that's true. Be relevant. Or something that's relevant to the actual action itself. Yeah. So there, there, are, there are limitations on the perjury world. Uh, we talked about this in a previous podcast, I recall now. Um, so that's one thing. But So prejudice is the issue. Prejudice, prejudice, prejudice. The other aspect of it is... Um, um, you know, uh, settlement discussions. So, for example, let's say I claim that you owe me the $300,000 that we just talked about, okay? And, um, and you offer me $200,000 to settle this case. It's an oral contract, let's say. And Barack, I'll, I'll pay you $200,000 just and we'll be done with it and we'll shake hands and we'll be done with it. Because I don't think I owe you anything, but you know what? I can kind of see your way about this a little bit and you know, just for the sake of our friendship, here's two hundred thousand um, dollars. And I say, no way, Jose. And uh, next thing we're, we know, in trial, and then I bring in the email to say, you see, ladies and gentlemen, the jury, uh, Ari here agreed uh, to that he would pay me. He offered to settle for two hundred thousand dollars. He must know that he's liable for that the, the three hundred thousand dollars. He's liable for something, and I put it to you that he knows that he's liable for the three hundred thousand dollars. Okay. The effect of that 
if that were admissible, Ari, the effect of that would be nobody would ever offer a settlement, right? We want people to engage in settlement. So we have a, an absolute bar in courts. Is that a gentleman's agreement or is it an actual law? It's an actual law. There's a, a 11, evidence code 1152 says that you cannot present uh, evidence of settle, a settlement offer as evidence of liability. What's the penalty for violating that? How does the procedure then work within a it's, uh, it's The objection is sustained. Um, so a lot of times if it's a jury trial, uh, How does a jury ignore something just because object? You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's, let's 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 take this as, as as one step. First of all, if it's a judge trial, it doesn't matter as much because a judge is smart enough to, generally speaking, he's experienced enough in the law to know settlements are discussed all the time. They're a way of minimizing risk. That doesn't mean that you're actually accept, accepting liability, right? Yeah. So it doesn't matter so much if it's in front of a judge. Uh, and a smart lawyer would not even bring up a settlement discussion because the lawyer, the judge knows. Uh, that it's not admissible and that it's, it's, it's yeah, it pretty easy. Yeah, it doesn't look good in any It doesn't look good to, to do that. It looks like yeah. you're being sneaky. So, but in front of a, uh, a jury who's not necessarily experienced about what settlement means or settlement offers mean, other than to think that, oh, he must be admitting that he's liable for that. So let's say the guy says, but you were, you know, but here's uh, an email where you said you'd be willing to pay $200,000, isn't that? If, if my lawyer said that to, to your lawyer, Ari, uh, your lawyer would jump up and say, your, your honor, objection. This is a settlement document, and by no means should he be allowed to introduce this. Sustained, the judge will say, and he'll then turn to the jury, and they'll say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, settlement discussions are not at all admissible. They do not mean anything about liability. People talk about settlement all the time. You are not to consider that in your evaluation of liability of this case whatsoever. Mr. Plaintiff Attorney, I warn you, do not do that again. Okay? That is not admissible. Once again, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, there's, uh, people talk about settlement all the time just to avoid liability. Uh, he may be liable, he may not be liable, but you're not allowed to take evidence of this as uh, the settlement as evidence of liability. Do you understand? And the, the foreman, foreman sometimes usually nod their head or whatever. Um, now, to avoid that in the first place, because you know you, you, you don't want to let the cat out of the bag situation, like you were saying, you know, aren't you on? It's difficult to unring the bell. Yeah. That's what you're saying. So a lot of times, um, it, when it's a jury trial, uh, judge, uh, lawyers will get together and they'll say ahead of time, look, I know he's a felon. I don't want you introducing anything about him. Will you stipulate to that? And the guy will say, yes, I stipulate to that. Or we all, of course, agreed not to introduce any settlement discussions. That's obvious, but let's make that clear that we're under strict orders not to discuss anything about settlement. So you do it ahead of time so that the parties agree by way of order that they're not to reveal X, Y, or Z uh, in the process of the trial. Um, and that's, that's usually... It's kind of like it. trials have natural legal ground rules. Right. And this is introducing extra protection, sort of a contractual right. ground rule between the parties right. to make sure uh, it's a fence before the right. legal ground rule. Yeah, now what if, what if the... Um, uh, what if in my example of the uh, the felony example, the other attorney says, no, I don't, I think I should be allowed to introduce this and I'm going to, I plan to introduce this. Okay, I can file what's called, a, before the trial, I can file what's called a motion in limine. It's Latin, uh, meaning basically motion to limit evidence. So, uh, and I file a motion to say, judge, you know, he, he thinks he should be entitled to bring 
evidence of a felony of my client. My, my client was a felon. You know, he did this. Uh, it's 20 years ago. Um, it has nothing, to, no bearing on this and case whatsoever. is this whatsoever. in front of the jury that you No, not at all. Would, no, no. Uh, if it's in front of the jury, then, then that's a bad thing. We don't, yeah. we don't want to hear the, the jury to hear any of this. This is before the trial even begins. This is two weeks before the trial. Oh, before the jury's even in the room. Right. Yeah, yeah this is so. what we call a pretrial conference. And we're resolving these kind of evidentiary issues before the trial even begins. So we set up the rules, the ground rules, so to speak, before. Is that part of the discovery process in which evidence is shared with each party uh, as well? That's the discovery process, yes. But pretrial conference is basically saying, okay, let's, you know, all the evidence is already in. Are there any more motions to limit and all that stuff? All these things have come out, and now we're ready to go. Uh, that's, that's really all there can be. Um, and so the pretrial conference, you basically have this rule, and they, they, they have a limiting effect. Um, we, we actually had a case like this in, uh, where a client of mine did have a felony in his past 20 years, 25 years earlier than the trial, and they wanted to bring it up. And uh, at the pretrial conference, I said, Judge, you know, this, this ain't right. Uh, he shouldn't be able to bring this up. It, first of all, it's 25 years ago. Secondly, um, you know, it has nothing to do with the merits of this case. Um, doesn't show a pattern of any kind whatsoever, and it would be unfairly prejudicial. And the judge agreed with me, and, and she said, don't break it up, counsel, to the other side, and I'll be watching you if you do. Okay? And if you do bring it up, I'll probably declare a mistrial right there on the spot. So That's usually the enforcement mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can be. It can be. Um, now, it's incumbent some t sometimes upon the, uh, the, the, the attorney if he, f if he feels that a statement was so prejudicial Right there on the spot, he'll say, Your Honor, I move for a mistrial. And uh, that may very well be the case. But we're talking about appeals and uh, abusive discretion, the things that can be done to limit uh, evidence. And um, it's, it's very, very interesting. And so the judge is caught between two things. On the one hand, he wants to be efficient and get things moving along uh, and to not int introduce too much evidence to bore the jury, right? And on the other hand, he doesn't want to limit evidence so much that uh, one side can claim that uh, the judge had precluded important information that would have led to a result in their favor. It's an interesting, delicate balancing act, and uh, that's what um, judges are all about. They have to they have to know the rules. So I, I find it fascinating, and I um, I am an arbitrator myself, so I find myself sustaining and uh, overruling objections constantly. Um, but as a practical matter, I let in what I can let in. That's that's, I find myself doing that, and I think that's what judges do, generally speaking. You kind of err on the side of letting something in. I'll allow it, the judge will say, but I'm not saying that I'm giving it a lot of weight. That's meaningful. Yeah. Now, when you talked about the, the judge warning the lawyer of his conduct, what uh, would happen further as far as penalties to the lawyer for doing it if it happened again? Is it only a mistrial, or can the lawyer be held in contempt? Or You got it right. Yeah. In contempt of court. Uh, the court has broad discretion as, as to how to punish or to reprimand a lawyer. Uh, the, the, the court can do many things. Uh, just off the top of my head. Drag them out by the bailiff by the <laughs> ear. And... <laughs> the, the, the judge can do the following. Uh, first of all, hold him in contempt of court. He can declare a mistrial, like, like I said before. Contempt of court is pretty serious stuff. Uh, you could be reported to the state bar if he does it more than a couple times. Uh, willful disobedience of the court's rules. Um, he could be sanctioned money, monetarily. He could be told, you need to 
pay up for every time you're going to do, you're going to do this. Uh, you know, you'll pay. Up. I'm picturing Lionel Hutz. From yeah, exactly. That's right. Take into this trouble. All That's the time. right. <laughs> uh, what is uh, contempt of court for those of us who hear the term but don't yeah. understand it? Uh, contempt of court is exactly what it sounds like. Contempt. You you are. I'm finding that you are in contempt of court, meaning that you're not for, you're not showing the appropriate respect to the court and. Courts, the court system needs respect from every participant, lawyers and witnesses and everyone else at the same time. Somewhat analogous to the Persia rules where we expect you to take the oath and be yeah, honest. That's right. That, that, that's exactly right. There's a certain decorum and certain procedure that must be observed, otherwise the whole system collapses. And so contempt is a very powerful weapon for the judge. Uh, there are two kinds of contempts. One are uh, contempts that are in the presence of the judge and ones that are not in the presence of the judge. So in the presence of the judge, are the kind of easy example, where, uh, for example, the judge says, uh, counsel, uh, I'm going to need you to sit down, please. And the judge and the lawyer says, no, I won't. And you're out of order, Your, your Honor. Oh, the yeah. famous scene yeah. without the chair. No, this whole no you're out of order. Out of order. Yeah. yeah. And then the gavel, 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 uh, you know, sit down. I will hold you in contempt. Okay, that, that's a classic contempt. Or he's willfully, in my example of introducing settlement discussions, when he's been ordered not to, and he does it more than once, then he's going to have um, some problems. And he's going to be told, uh, you're in contempt of court. You are willfully disobeying my instructions. And uh, counsel, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, you know, to hold you in contempt. And uh, that means that you're going to order to be paid sanctions. Sometimes it's going to be, uh, you're going to have to, um, you can go to jail. I mean, you can literally be taken away. How you know you always hear that the the judge can not always but you know in television in watching Law and Order or L A Law right. or something you see the judge being hauled off by their or the uh, lawyer being hauled out of court screaming hysterically by the bailiff yeah. and throwing the slammer and then you know the the plot will say thirty days later or five years how long can someone be held in contempt until they right. their attitude readjusts right I mean what if you're thrown in, go to L.A. County, and it's a guy like you or I who right. can't survive in jail, and we're shivved and we're murdered in jail. Contempt is, of court is it not... Be a life, it can't be a death penalty? No, no. thing like that? It's a, it, it's a, it's a good question. Um, it, uh, contempt of court is a quasi-criminal situation. It's quasi in a very b important word. Uh, it, it feels like a criminal context because after you're going, you're going to jail. Uh, on the other hand, you are, it's not a sentence. You have the keys to your own freedom. By in this example uh, that I just gave, to uh, to tell the judge, okay, I promise never to do that again. And then it's like a timeout or detention. It's a timeout, for, yeah. yeah. And then the and the bailiff comes says, you know, judge, he says he won't do it again. Okay, good enough. Let's go. Or and, uh, or a journalist who finally reveals their source. Yeah, I was or, just gonna I was just gonna say, yeah. uh, you know, my my brother did a great movie called Nothing But the Truth, and uh, and in that movie, that's exactly what happened. She. Uh, she knows certain information about something very important, and she refuses to reveal her source. And it's you know that the federales uh, want her to reveal. She refuses, and the judge uh, ultimately holds her in contempt of court, and she refuses after many months. And you see her suffering and everything else. But the reality is that she has um, the freedom anytime to get out of there, and um, and they. And she refuses. I mean, that's that's. But she has the keys to her own freedom. That's the the key phrase there. Can you literally the bang on the cell door and say, uh, "I'm ready to get out of here now"? And yeah. they'll uh, yes. three in the morning. <laughs> the answer is yes. Oh, yeah. I'm ready to reveal. Yeah. My source in that that example. Um, the other kind of contempt is the contempt that's outside of court. Um, for example, you're 
told you there's a gag order. Okay, you uh, lawyers, you're not allowed to speak about this case to the press, media, whatever, to anybody else. And uh, then I, Johnny Cochran goes in front of the media, and then he goes in front of the yeah. media, right? Uh, in that case, it's a little bit harder to prove contempt because it's not right in the presence of the judge. But you can file papers and you can, you can provide evidence. There is a mini trial that goes on to, just on the issue of contempt to say, look, Your Honor, here's the evidence of the videotape. And here's the date underneath there. It says, you know, January 12th. And the date that you gave the order was January 6th. Uh, right after, six days after, he's talking to the media about this trial and saying that he's uh, flouting your orders whatsoever. Your Honor, he's in contempt of court. And the judge will say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, slammer. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and that's a big deal. So that's contempt. And ha- but how do you have your keys to your own freedom in that case? Can, how can you unring the bell with of something like that? You know, uh, it depends. I mean, the judge is going to impose a penalty that he feels is enough to punish the, uh, the, the, the lawyer to not do that again. Or um, he'll throw him in jail and then say, you know, I'll, be the, you know, I'll get you out in an hour. <laughs> or when you when you when you promise me that you will never do that again, but at least for one hour. So it's there's a lot of discretion. Judges have tremendous discretion. Um, at the same time, they they have rules to follow, and that's why we have an appellate court system. And it's a pretty good system, by the way. Now going back to the appellate court system, because that's what we're really talking about. And I think I'll wrap up here. Is the uh, with all the Supreme Court decisions, you've got the. Uh, you hear this, the Supreme Court in the, the Proposition A case said there's no standing, so, and it reversed the Ninth Circuit Court ruling, and, but allowed, basically the case remains with the District Court ruling, and said that there was no standing. So in other words, we're all going back in time, we, into a time machine, where the court basically saying those two people that proceeded uh, with the challenge of the, um, of the judge didn't have standing to do so. Is is that a case where it's literally unappealable until I, new elected officials? I, I think I think in? that that is almost literally unappealable. The only well, the only people that could appeal it are the attorney general and, and the, or governor. the governor. Yeah, and they didn't. They choose not to, and uh, yeah. therefore you're 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 creating a law by by default. Well, you are silence. and you aren't because aren't you actually for the people who? want this thing challenged and are happy with the Supreme Court remanding it that way, right. aren't they in in effect essentially lighting the fuse on a time bomb that someday will detonate on them in that someday there will definitely, and we talked a little bit about this the other day, someday there will be a different administration and a different attorney general with a different point of view than those now who could then appeal it at that point, 20, 50, 100 years down the line. Right. Well, there's also an appeal. An appeal um, uh, there's a statute of limitations, or there's a, there's a time by which you must appeal anything. Uh, a proposition. I don't know how long that it is, but I can tell you, in a case, you have 60 days after the entry of judgment by which to appeal. So case. it is unappealable if there's a statute of limitations on it. That's right. That does not seem like it's it's anything what, but lawlessness. To it is. Oh, it's a pure lawlessness. Uh, what you're saying is, when you strip away all the court system and everything else, right? You're basically saying, it's Proposition 8, I, the governor, am not going to be following the will of the people. Right. The will of the people did this. The Supreme Court said only, <laughs> I can do this, and I'm not right. going to do this. And I'm not saying that you have to like it, uh, the, the Proposition 8, or dislike it. It's just, you know, people get 
they, they conflate the, the substance of the proposition, in this case is the gay marriage issue, or I guess anti-gay marriage, and, um, yeah, they, they can, and the process and the yeah. legal procedure. Because one day there may come a time, folks, where there is a proposition that you like that is overwhelmingly supported by the people of California or whatever state you're in, and the governor refuses to uh, support that. And well, how, does that, how does that make you feel? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's all good and well when your opponents are not getting enforced. Uh, but, and that it might make you happy for the moment. But don't forget that this might turn on you one day. What about the inverse in this? What if an, a, a, a ballot proposition is on the ballot mm-hmm. and it doesn't pass? Right. And now the governor and attorney general defy the will of the people by suing to force it to pass, right. could potentially now a single judge say, take a, an outrageous proposition that failed. I can't name one right. at the moment, but there, I'm sure there was one out there right. uh, in past elections. And they say, oh, we're declaring, we're deeming this passed. No, they can't do that. Um, what you can well, do... Well, we hope with we, we the, hope, yeah. this kind of lawless system. Well, so, you, know. you know, that that's what Obama does. He does executive orders like yeah. this. When, when the, the DREAM Act didn't pass the way he wanted to, at least, he decided to effectively create the DREAM Act by executive order. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's by fiat. Look, uh, what the answer to your, your, your question really is uh, to say, okay, let's, let's say, whatever, a, a proposition that proposes... Uh, very high taxes on you know increasing property taxes by by twice what they are now. Let's just say. Well, let's make it even more interesting. Increases income taxes on people who earn under a certain amount of money up to ninety percent. So you know something right. that you know would be really unpopular. Whatever it is, you know, it's, it's an unpopular thing. Yeah, and uh, that's fine. Yeah, and uh, the people, the over- poor people, plunder tax. You know, the, the people overwhelmingly reject it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but then uh, Governor Brown or whoever the governor is can turn to the legislature and said, okay, why don't you pass a law to that effect? Okay, and, and that's perfectly fine. You can't, you, can't not pass a, you can't tell them that they can't pass a law that basically was, was run down by the, the people. It, it may be politically unwise for the legislatures, legislators when they understand how unpopular that particular proposition was to then enact that very law, but they can do it. Um, so in, in the context of the property tax thing might be more, more realistic because in this, this state, at least California, they're very tax happy. So, uh, they, they might double the property taxes and then all of a sudden they have to, uh, they're, they're dealing with property taxes that are much higher and the people shoot it down. They don't want that. And then the legislator says, tough luck. Yeah. We want it. And we're, we are going to increase the taxes. Um, that's, uh, it's, you're really taking power away from the people. So having said that, uh, we've talked a lot about a lot of territory today, uh, the appellate process, what it means to appeal, uh, some of the assumptions that people have uh, when it comes to appeal, and then, of course, contempt and uh, even the proposition uh, process. I hope it was interesting for you. I, I love this area. Um, and we'll talk to you next week. Spinning out webs of deductions and On a private beach in